Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello and welcome to Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact in our area. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. Finally, (laughs) in studio, Erica Jones. She is the founder and CEO of Sunshine Spaces. You can find them online at sunshinespaces.org. How are you doing today? I'm great, Nick. Thanks so much for having me. All right. So anybody listening, they don't understand why I say finally in studio. We have been (laughs) trying to get you in here for months. Months. I would say. And I've had people cancel on me in the past. I have people forget (laughs) about interviews by far and away. The greatest excuse I've ever heard (laughs) for missing an interview. Before we kind of get into that, talk to me about what Sunshine Spaces is and what you guys do. Oh, thanks, Nick. So Sunshine Spaces is an organization based here in Fort Worth, Dallas area that serves the families of children that are battling life-threatening or terminal illnesses. What do you do for them? So we go in to um, a family or to a situation, and our hope, our goal is to sort of generate hope and surround the families with love. And the way that we do that is we um, create dream rooms for these children, kind of create a space that they can rest and heal and just be a kid again um, during their recovery and treatment. A lot of construction involved with that. A lot of construction. And we always focus on the siblings as well. We, we think that they go through a lot too, so they get special rooms as well. A lot of power tools involved. A lot of power tools. <laughs> Let's get to it. Okay. I've got to hear okay. this story. Just I want to talk it. about it. Tell everyone why uh. you missed our first interview. All right. All right. So we were working on a build in May uh, for a little girl called Riley. Uh, she's five years old, and she was waiting for a heart after her heart failed uh, as a result of a common cold, actually. I know, crazy. That's and crazy. so I know. And so she'd been on the heart transplant list since December, and uh, we had gone ahead to go ahead and do dream rooms for her and her siblings. And she has four, there's four of them, four little girls in the family. And as we started the project, we were going to remove one wall and we found mold in their home. And so it turned very quickly from just dream rooms into a complete house gut. And so we had two and a half weeks to get this house completely renovated and safe for Riley to come home to. And three days out from her coming back and the last piece of shiplap that was being cut um, I had a terrible accident with a table saw and lost two of my fingers. <laughs> when I first met Can't you today, <laughs> when, when I when I met you today, you were so nonchalant about explaining this story and what happened. It's an unbelievable story, but this is radio. It must be mentioned. You are missing your middle finger. I am. And ring finger on your left hand. Yes. I make the ultimate sign of love is what happens. It actually. is. It, <laughs> is. <laughs> it is. It is. You yeah. can go to metal not, concerts. Not hook them horns. I would say metal concerts if you tuck in your thumb, but we're yeah. going to keep that thumb out. Yep. That's the case. And, the, and, and I lost the use of my index finger for, you know, that's what we're trying to work on now. So, And you are going to have more surgeries for that, as you mentioned. Yeah. I have two more surgeries, um, at least two more on the actual index finger to try to regain some use of it. So, What went through your mind when it first happened? 
Um, my initial concern was bleeding out. Um, I know that there, you know my immediate concern, other than the pain, the the saw blade hit three times on the underside of my hand and went through all my knuckles. So every knuckle on those three fingers was destroyed by the saw. Um, so my initial thing was I'm going to bleed out in front of all Were these volunteers. Were they just off? No, they weren't. So from the t- from the front, it just looked a little mangled, the ring finger and and the 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 middle finger. But when you turned it upside down, it was very obvious that it had just it had just gone straight through the knuckles. And so, honestly, I don't know if I was thinking more than just to grab my wrist and um, just not move, you know, just just kneel down and just call for help. And sure. so as soon as I knew that help was coming and that the you know I calmed, I just had this surreal sense of calm come over me and. Was it shock? Do you think? No, no. I'm a I'm a person of faith, and in that moment, it was just a very specific prayer that went out, and it was just very peaceful. Honestly, it was a very peaceful experience, one of the most peaceful of my life. I know that that sounds strange, but when it happened, it, it just this peace came over me, and I had absolute clarity as to what had to happen, and I was very calm. Um, everyone else was not. So people but, watched this happen. Oh yeah, it was in front of about 15 volunteers. Yeah. Did they wig out? Oh yes. Yeah, there was a lot of waking out. <laughs> what you just talked to me about clarity, yeah, and serenity, yeah, peace. These people were not experiencing those emotions. No. Was it your job after getting catastrophically injured to keep all of these other people calm? Oh, very much so. Very much so. I'm I'm an empath, so my my feeling is always for what other people are feeling, and in that moment, that definitely kicked in. Like I really just wanted. To, I think I kept saying, look, it's done. Like, it's done. It's happened. It's happened. It's calmed down. You know, the um, as soon as I knew the ambulance was on the way, I mean, the pain was out of this world. But I had this this incredible um, ability to see through what was about to happen, to understand we are three days away from bringing this little girl home, you know, and things had to carry on. Like, I get that I was going, but we couldn't lose time. We couldn't shut down the job site. Like, things had to carry on. I was going to go. I needed everybody to stay. I even tried to convince my husband to stay, um, but he wasn't having that. But um, it, it just needed to carry on, and, and I knew that I was going to be in good hands. The firefighters were there within uh, within four minutes of the actual initial call, and they were amazing. Uh, they, were, they were wonderful. They couldn't land the, the helicopter because of rush hour traffic, so they took me to JPS and then airlifted me to Parkland. So... But I, you know, I had to hand off a task list. So I was, you know, telling volunteers, you know, please turn off the radio, get me my charger. You know, here's this credit card. Here's this gift receipt. Here's this, this, here's this needs to carry on. You're being medevaced to an airlift situation and you are making sure that the volunteers and the people that are with Sunshine Spaces stay on the job site and complete the job for this little girl. How old is she? Five. Did you guys complete the job on time? We did. We did. It was one of the most emotional ones we've ever had. Um, I was gone. I, I left, obviously, the job site, and our, our crew put out a call to the community who, let me just tell you, showed up. Every single person that's ever volunteered with us, every company that's come alongside us, I mean, people just showed up in droves for the next two days to finish the project, and they just really, everybody just really showed up strong, and we were able to bring her home. This little girl hadn't been in our home since December. She hadn't been able to be with her sisters because little, you know, the little kids aren't allowed in the NICU and the pediatric units and stuff. And so, getting her home was the most important thing. So I was back on the job site the next day uh, for about an hour. Um, I was not in a, in a good shape that day, but that was Friday. And then I worked the whole day Saturday through the night till Sunday, and we brought her home at about lunchtime on Sunday. 
how did the family find out about this? Um, yeah, they they knew immediately. I mean, it was going to hit, you know, it was going to hit social media. It was going to hit pretty quick. Um, and so we had to, my husband actually, once I was airlifted, he drove to Fort Worth. To, we have five children to gather up our children and tell them because he didn't want them finding out through social media. Thankfully, none of them were on the job site. Don't so. really think about that. No, you don't. But yeah, we, we needed to make sure we told the children ourselves and um, what I have a weird question. What about your wedding ring? So uh, the doctor told me I did two things right. I never wore my wedding ring on the job site for that exact reason. Um, you know, it's very dangerous. Yeah. Um, and I was not wearing gloves. And he told me we have gloves, those ones that are supposed to stop the, you know, the saw. And he said to me, there were two things that I did right. I wasn't wearing a wedding ring and I wasn't wearing gloves because it could have pulled my hand into the saw more. I think if I... If it had just run through the saw, a lot of people say, well, why couldn't they reattach? This happens all the time. But I saw it happening, so I was pulling my hand away. Oh. Um, but, yeah, there was just no way it was going to get. And, I mean, I had long discussions with the Parkland hand surgeons and as to why it couldn't be reattached. There was just too much trauma. How are you going to wear a wedding ring now? I don't know. Have you made a decision on that? I don't know. I it think looks I like may it would just, fit still. You know, I don't know. I think I may just have a tattoo done. Um, that may just be the easiest when my nerves can handle it. That's good. Um, but I'm actually working in, uh, with Walter Reed up in D.C., uh, the Army Medical Center up there. They're creating special prosthetics for me. How did you get hooked up with those guys? Uh, my husband's a retired Marine. So um, wow. I had volunteered with the Semper Fi, Injured Marine Semper Fi Fund, who said, hey, you should you should ask them if they would take your case on. And Was he injured in the Marine Corps? Um, he's a retired, yeah, he's a 100% disabled vet. But as a retired, as a Marine, retired Marine, we have uh, TRICARE. So TRICARE will allow family right. members to be taken care of there. And that's, Walter Reed is the ones that did all the prosthetics or do all the prosthetics for our military. Do you know what you're going to get? Are you going to get one of those little robot fingers? You know, I wanted the robot ones, but I have too much finger left. So that's really more if you lose your whole hand so i have these things called mpc drivers and they're basically like hinged fingers um that will as you bend your hand the fingers bend and so i'll be able to grip and functionality is my main concern not really i don't really care about the cosmetic i just need to be able to do what i do so what has this done for the organization let's start there i guess you you mentioned off air that this has had a huge impact not only on you as a human yeah. being, but also on Sunshine Spaces. How has this affected everything? I think it's really changed everything for us um, for several things. One, you know, Sunshine Spaces is very small. We I started it as a family mission, really, just to just to show love, you know, show up and show love to these families, and it's grown into a really big community nonprofit. But this has forced me to take a back seat and allow others to step up. Um, which has been really instrumental in the direction that we're going. Um, How so? Well, I think that there's only so far you can take it on your own, right? And so when somebody has the vision and they create a nonprofit, it's theirs, like it's their baby. But this has forced me to step back and allow others to take it and take it to, to directions that I just can't right now because I still have to focus on rehabilitation. And, you know, and so we either let it fall by the wayside a little bit or we keep growing and that we definitely want to keep the the need for us just hasn't stopped at all. If anything, it's accelerated just because of the publicity that this got. So we we get requests all the time for help. Is this and a weird blessing in disguise? I think it's a platform. You know, I think um, I think we're given moments in our life that we can choose for things to sort of tie us down and be a stumbling block, or you can choose that something happens to you to be a platform. And so, you know, I will share my story about this and about the incredible. Um, peace that I felt and the incredible people that have come alongside our organization 
um, to anybody that I can. Maybe it'll encourage people to handle things differently, but I work with terminally ill children. It's very hard for me to sit and feel sorry about my two fingers when I have a 11-year-old girl reach out to me who lost her leg to cancer and say, hey, Erica, you've got this, you know? I mean, who am I to complain about fingers? These kids are fighting for their lives. You know, that perspective. Have you always had this perspective? Is this something that has been with you for your entire life? Normally what I see is this is the personality you were born with or something happens and you develop it. Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I grew up in Zimbabwe, Africa, and I think that just by the process of growing up in a third world country where we don't have the things that we take for granted here, no one's coming to save you over there, right? So I think you sort of develop this resilience to life, but um, there, there's just no feeling sorry for yourself over there. No one, like, it, it doesn't, you have to rise or you stay where you are. And I think that's kind of the mentality I've taken throughout my entire life, which is why I started Sunshine Spaces, you know. I think if you are in a position in your life to do anything, you you owe it to mankind, you owe it to society to do something. Talk to me about how the organization started. Where where did this whole journey begin? It began in church. <laughs> I was sitting in church at a new church. We were military. We'd moved around a tremendous amount, and I was sitting in a church in College Station, Texas, and they were talking about building a new roof, and I kind of laughed to myself because it f- feels like every time we moved towns or cities, we always found a church that was building a new roof. You know, it's always a new roof fund. And I just didn't have the heart to to wrap my head around yet another, hey, kids, what can we do to raise money for another roof? Um, because it's very hard for kids to understand where that money goes, right? And sure. so that really stirred inside me. How do I teach my kids to look at the world and see pain and then do something about it, right? To take ownership of what's out there because we are so ridiculously blessed. And so I started really digging deep as to what would make me, what would shake me, right? Like obviously moving countries, I'm you know from another country that wouldn't. So for me, it would be if my child had to struggle for his life. That would be my, that would be the thing that brought me to my knees. And mm. so I knew where the entry point of pain was. I just didn't know what I was going to do about it. And then I started going, well, what am I, what can I do? What am I good at? And I'm good at designing. I don't have a design background, but I paint murals and I, you know, I've always done these extravagant rooms for my kids. And I was like, well, what if we just took one family who's just had a really hard time? And it was about September, October that year and said, for Christmas, why don't we just do like amazing rooms for them? And it was something my kids and I could do. And it was just something we were going to put into the community. And wow, the response to it was overwhelming. We had the designers, um, the the uh, rainforest cafes. Mm-hmm. I was trying to do a magic wishing tree. It was a book I had read as a child for this little girl. And so I reached out and said, Hey, how do I, how do I create a resin tree? Like, and they, they asked what the story was. And not only did they create it and make it, they drove all the way down. I mean, all the way up from Houston and installed this beautiful tree in this room for me. And just seeing how the community responded to the opportunity to serve these families made me realize there's something here. People want to put hands on a project that they can make a difference. They don't just want to write a check. They can see the beginning and the end. Exactly. They can see the impact. You know, people want to be part of something good. Explain the impact that a space has for a child and for even the family. Yeah. It's not when you think about helping out sick kids, it's not the first thing that jumps no. <laughs> to your mind. But as you've mentioned already, it does have a huge impact and yes. people want to be a part of it as well. Yeah. What happens when they get that room? I think it's just for a moment they're normal. 
you know, um, these children that they go through treatment sometimes for two, three, four years at a time, their lives immediately become impacted. Um, even the siblings, right? They suddenly, if the child has immune, you know, immune issues, they can't have other people come into the home and spend the night and their whole lives get completely changed. And by no, by no fault of the parents and, and no way to overcome it, the sibling sort of tends to almost get pushed to the wayside. So no matter what that sibling accomplishes, the first question out of everybody's mouth is how is you know, the child. And so we, we recognized really quickly that our, our hearts were with the siblings as much as with the patients. That's always one of my questions when a group decides to not just focus on a kid, but the family mm-hmm. or on mm-hmm. one of the kids, but the siblings as well. I'm seeing that more and more with organizations. Yeah. You guys latched onto that relatively quick. I'm guessing also because you have five kids, so mm-hmm. you would understand that yeah. impact on the one for the whole. Yeah, the very first child that we did, Brielle, uh, she was two years old. She'd been born with a hole in her heart. She had Down syndrome, and she got leukemia. And they spent a Christmas in the hospital fighting for her life. And then I remember Reese, her sister, started kindergarten without a parent there. And that just it still breaks my heart because, you know, these parents, they have to stay with the children in the hospital. It's not like they can't just leave and come back. And, you know, if I, I, I can't imagine the long term of having to leave your child there. Obviously, when it's years, you learn to rely on friends and family. But still... You know, when your child needs you, your child needs you. And yeah. so that sibling tends to miss out no matter which way they do it. Um, so very quickly, right from the beginning, it was always going to be the siblings as well. I think the main impact for us, and we say this all the time, is it's so little about the rooms and so much about the love, right? So it's about the fact that strangers will donate time and money and resources to just wrap their arms around these families. We send them away for a weekend, very similar to Extreme Home Makeover. We send them away to go do something fun if they can. Sometimes they can't with, you know, their their health, but if they can and then we bring them back and the whole community shows up and we have parades and we have, you know, if they want to come in in fire trucks, we bring them in on fire truck. If they want to come on a horse and carriage, we bring them in a horse and carriage and, you know, they come home and everybody welcomes them home and they get to see their rooms. And I think just it it puts them front and center of, you know, everything's going to be okay. As you mentioned, the house that you got hurt in, Mm. it's not just redoing a child's room. No. You got rid of the black mold in their home to yeah. make sure that the kid came home to a healthy environment. Yeah. For people that don't know, that is not a small task. No. You're basically ripping a home completely apart yeah. and putting it back together again. Not to mention you have to do it in a very specific way to make sure that you kill all the mold so it doesn't come back. For sure. Once you're done. When did that become part of the organization because that to me is a completely different thing. Yeah. So so we have it we had experience in that when we we responded to Hurricane Harvey. We have a, a group of our organization that responds to hurricanes and goes down and just takes, you know, our trailers and goes and guts out and so we we learned quite a bit about the the dangers of that just w- through working through a couple of hurricanes. Um, this was by far the most extensive one that we've come across because there was pest infestation up in the attic that they just could not have known about. It was an old home. What are the things, what are the major things that you guys have to work on? When it comes to a transplant home, yeah. um, so replacing the flooring, it's better to get the carpet out and put hardwood flooring down, much better for the child. Um, the air conditioning system needs to meet, make sure that there's no mold. It has to be scrubbed and cleaned um, and a, a particular air vent uh, filtration system put in just to make it you know, as safe as possible for the child. And then, of course, making sure there's no, no mold in the walls and no pest 
waste up in the attic. Now, when you go into work on a house, do you survey all of that stuff now to make sure yes. you know what needs to be done? Yes. So all of that happens now. Yes. So what we typically do is even if we're just going in to do just a makeover, right, and we're just going to go do the rooms, we always go in and we ask the family for their honeydew list, right, because they just don't get to that. I mean, it's just not as important as you think. Right. But, you know, sealing up the holes, if there's holes in the roof or in the windows or resealing the windows or replacing doors that have, have drafts, like all that sort of thing is easy for us. But it's seemingly impossible to these families at the time. Like that's the last thing on their mind. It's the last thing that they need to spend finances on. And so we really try to knock out a lot of the things, replace their fences if they need replacing. We basically do as much around the house as well as do the rooms for the families. Just kind of get them caught up on life. How do you go about reintroducing these families to their home? That's got to be the best part it is. of Sunshine Spaces. What is that process like? So they they get to come home. We have a we have a set arrival time that they'll they'll come back and like I said we do like a parade or anything you know whatever it may be and then they get to go in and see the home on their own and that's pretty unique. They always come in. Almost always we've done something to you know we spruced up their house or done something extra special for the parents, and then we reveal one room at a time. Always the child's the the patient's room last, but we'll reveal like one child's room first and and then come out and they get to regroup and then go in and um, it's really. It's really special. I always watch mom and dad's face, mm. dad especially. Um, you know, moms, we're emotional. You know, we, we we wear our hearts on our sleeves with everything. But to see the dad's face when, you know, the burden of them to make their home safe and ready for their ch child to come home, or that's heavy. And then to not have the time or the energy or the resources to do it and somebody come in and do it, the dad's face is almost always my favorite. But honestly, my, my absolute favorite part of the, the reveal and the whole weekend is the volunteers. It's the people that come out and you come there and you think you're going to give your time and you work really hard and, and you think you're changing this family's life. But it's the volunteers that are changed by the end of it. You know, they, they're so humbled and so touched. And that's always some of my favorite feedback. Erica Jones is the founder and CEO of Sunshine Spaces. You can find them online at sunshinespaces.org or give them a call at 817-946-4665. Who is helping you transform these homes? What does the volunteer base look like? Actually, real quick, how big is this organization? How many people work for Sunshine Spaces? So we are all volunteer run, so purely volunteer run. Uh, there's a, We have a core team of about 20 of us. Uh, that that sit on an advisory board and run it. And then our volunteer base is in the hundreds. We have people come out once a year, twice a year. Every We've had volunteers that have come to every single build. And we partner with a tremendous amount of local companies. That's where our strength is. Is there uh, a certain type of company that you guys like to partner with? Is it anybody? Is it a lot of construction companies, contractors? Um, Who's a part of this? Anybody that wants to be part of it will find you a place. So it's either practical. You can practically come and help us. Um, whether it's, you know, we're, we're redoing a bathroom for a little girl right now, and we've got various companies that are coming in to collaborate on that. Or if you're just a company and you're looking for something good to do with your corporate giving, we can create an event or help work with an event to raise money that we can then turn around and put into a, a build that you can send your employees to to come and volunteer. So a lot of companies like to do both. They like to have the, you know, feet on the ground during a project as well. So anybody wants to work with us, we'll work with them. What are the timelines? How long do you give yourselves to transform these rooms? Because you said it could be maybe one or two rooms. The big project that you were working on, I think you said there was four kids? Yes, that was two and a half weeks. Two we had weeks. two and a half weeks. Thankfully, we started early enough on that one. Uh, typically, most of our projects are about a week. 
But because you have so many hands, you're able to get a lot done in that short window yeah. of time. Yeah, we try to keep the families out of the house as short of, as short as possible, just for their comfort. Um, but obviously, if there's more construction that needs to be done, then we take longer. How extravagant are these redos? So extravagant. Are we talking about <laughs> pillows and blankets? No. Oh my gosh, no. We've done Star Wars rooms. We've done fiber optic ceilings that look like camping rooms. We've done frozen rooms i mean we've we've done you can definitely go check out our gallery online but these rooms are so far above we've done a gaming a gaming room with a huge big xbox sign the size of the whole wall and oh we've done some have amazing they things. gone up in i don't want to say quality but how about extravagance oh they have, have they gotten more ridiculous over time and just um, over the top they started pretty ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> no we we dream we dream pretty big right off the bat they it, we have to get more and more creative as the same rooms are requested we don't ever try to we never repeat rooms okay and so we do have to get more and more creative it's funny the things kids want and then they change their mind right so you know they'll do a news interview and they'll say what are you most looking forward to and the child will be like silver bubbles on my wall and you know we didn't have silver bubbles and then it's like mass scramble to put silver bubbles on the wall but kids are funny they will change their minds so we take a lot of their feedback but then we we just turn it into just something amazing so how do you pick who is going to have a redesign yeah they're nominated through the community it is it is a tough it is a tough thing trying to prioritize where we sure. where we spend our limited funds um, because we only work with one child at a time so we pick a child we focus on that family we we work with them we raise the funds we come up with the design we do the build and then we go to the next and so a lot of it is through nominations if you have a child out there that you think a family that you think would could benefit from this just shoot us an email or Give us a phone call and we'll get an application out to them. How many do you have in the pipe? How many are we looking at for the foreseeable future? About six currently. Six, six currently. Six is waiting. that average or is that? Um, that's that's actually quite low. Um, there's normally more. It does kind of sound low. It is low. Well, just in terms of pipeline, those are applications that we've actually got and have been verified and with the doctors have signed off on right. them. And then, um, you know, it's all just we do we'd do so many more if we could it's all just funding based right do you have numbers that you're trying to hit each year <clears throat> excuse me or are you just taking it as it as it comes no no definitely not so we have a strategic plan to start working more with transplant um, teams at Dallas Children's Hospital um, specifically to get into the trans helping these families prep to bring these children home and then you're talking about 30 to 40 um, at any given time that we'll be wow. working through and just you know they, millions of dollars are spent keeping these kids alive we've got to make sure their homes are safe to come home to and those will not all be big extravagant room designs uh, those will just be going in and making sure that everything's taken care of and ready for them to come home to I may have misunderstood but did you mention that when you had your injury that it made you start thinking about transplants more do I, I have that correct? It was. Well, the, the build that we were on, right, um, at the time had already sort of started something stirring in our heart. The number one question was, you know, this was a sort of a single mom situation with four little girls. Um, how, who would do this for her if not us? You know, if not us, who? And and there isn't anyone out there that I know that is that is doing it for these families. And immediately we, the hospital started us sending us case after case of just heartbreaking situations. You know, we've got a little girl right now, they... They, you know, she's on the heart transplant list. She's three years old. Her sister died five years ago of a completely unrelated. So this family has been through so much. And then their bathroom's completely torn up. Their air conditioning unit, um, somebody tried to fix it and took off with it. And they have no air conditioning through the summer. And so, you know, you hear these stories and you're like, who's doing this? And yeah, yeah. it's not a room, but it's still an easy fix for us. So we just apply the resources that we have and the, 
the companies that align with us and how do you how do you deal with the stress of these situations because you're dealing with a lot of really heavy stuff now there is this golden perfect ending you get to see these rooms but i can tell that aspects of this are still hard for you oh for sure how do you deal with that and how do you stay so upbeat you're a very upbeat person yeah um, I think the I think the way that I see it is, um, you know, when we design these rooms, obviously our goal is that these child this child lives out these rooms and eventually they change it out because the kid outgrew them. But the the harsh reality is that when we design when I design these rooms with my team, we're, we're capturing the child in these rooms, right? Like in case it doesn't go the way that that everybody wants it to, we, we feel this burden to really just to grab this child and everything that they love in this room. And that is a that is not it's not a burden. It's just a it's a privilege, right? That you get to step into these families and just really do this for them. The way I see it, and I think the way I do it is that whether or not I step into this situation, they're going to go through this, right? So I can stick my head in the sand and go do something else, but these families are still going to go through this tough time. Like the dark days are still coming for them. So even at my, even at my, my limited effort, I'm still doing more than if I wasn't doing anything. Right? The idea of doing something as opposed to Absolutely. nothing. Absolutely. And if, if we can, we should. As a community, if there's something we can do, we should. It's mentioned on the website. You already mentioned it, and I think it's a very unique perspective. You said that you teach your kids to look for pain mm-hmm. and then to do something Absolutely. about it. I think that that does sound weird at first <laughs> because a lot of people, their instinct is to protect their children from pain. Sure. You just kind of mentioned that that's a philosophy that you have, and that's kind of how you approach your work with Sunshine Spaces, and it's something you impart onto your kids. Mm-hmm. How did you develop that philosophy? Was it growing up where you grew up? Is this something that you learned? Looking for pain and trying to transform it is not how most people attack their lives. Right. I think raising kids in the in the generation that switched from from you know, smartphones and no social media to social media, right? You sort of started to see society turn to be so self-centered, you know, the age of the selfie, and it's all just about me, 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 right? And so when you're trying to raise children, I believe very firmly that we have one responsibility, and that's to put kind children out into this world, to raise your kids to be kind. You can raise the next, um, you know, genius that comes up with a cure for cancer, but if their heart's not kind, if there isn't, if there isn't that love for for mankind and making the world better, it's not going to matter, is it? They're going to hold on to it, and they're going to. So kindness to me trumps everything. Um, and to see a society sort of turning to it, suddenly it went from being that way to being very self-centered. I felt like I had to push back even harder with my children and say, you know, it's not about you. Like, this isn't about you. And that kid that's being a jerk to you in your school or that kid that's, you know, angry with everybody, there's a reason why that child's like that. And so you can hate on him and talk about him and, you know, ostracize him from your group, or you can maybe dig a little deeper and figure out what's going on. The organization transforms rooms for kids. Right. I really thought it was going to be a lot more basic. You are talking a lot about life philosophies. It's a movement, yeah. Yes, a movement. I wasn't going to use that word, but you weren't hesitating there. No, it is. We need to be different. Even now, more so than ever, we need to be different. And the thing is, we, we can complain about the next generation, but we have to look in the mirror. They are reflections of us, right? And I tell my kids this the whole time. Before I throw millennials under the bus, it's us, right? We're the ones that changed everything, and we're the ones you can change it still. So, you know, having a philosophy of just go out there and be kind in the world, right? Just do something good in the world. 
wherever that may be, everybody's resources and gifts and abilities are different. You know, I'm not saying everyone has to go out and start a nonprofit, but everybody can do something. Was there something that, that happened to you or was there an aha moment that made you realize that this was bigger than, that it needed to be a movement? I was um, I was struggling. You know, sometimes in the nonprofit world, you, you come up against the very type of person you don't want to be around. And that's the type of person that will attach themselves to your organization because of the notoriety, not for the right reasons, right? It's a weird it's thing tough. that I've discovered with it's this. It's tough. You and think people about, don't want to talk about it, but they it's don't true. Really, it comes out in weird ways. It does. They it don't does. want, especially in interviews, they don't want to talk about it. But then there's these weird fights on the board. And oh, then it's unbelievable. People leave and, competition. and come back or they start... Uh, a very similar organization Correct. to compete. Yeah. I call it the check in the box people, right? They're there to, they're there to check the box. Their heart's not right. And they're, they're there because it makes them feel good. It has nothing to do with what they're doing in the world. And it's in our organization, it shows very quickly who mm. is what. Um, but I was struggling with that about two or three makeovers in. And the very first uh, mom, uh, Stephanie Perry, um, Brielle's mom, you know, she came alongside me. She recognized I was struggling and she said something to me. She said, you know, Erica, she said, I know that you're, you're, you're struggling with whether you should carry this on or not. And she said, I want you to know that when we talk about Brielle's illness, her journey through cancer, it's not more than a few sentences into it before your rooms came up, before what you did came up. And she said, you changed the story. You changed that journey for us. Right. Because where there was so much pain, there was just this like, man, but look what happened. And that was so impactful to me because I felt like sometimes you, you go out there and you work so hard and you don't necessarily feel like you're making an actual difference. Mm. You know, I'm, I don't change the path that these kids are on, but I can bring a, exactly that a little bit of light into it. You know, and, that, and sometimes that's just the hope that they need to carry on. Was that experience unique or have you found that the parents that you're working with kind of do something for you oh, as well they're, they're there, that woman was giving you advice and she was coaching you oh, so beautiful she was taking care of you right in that moment have you found that that is common with the families and especially the parents that you're dealing with they're it is. in very unique circumstances it is i mean even today we posted a we posted something about hadley it's an anniversary of hadley's makeover and her dad wrote this beautiful thing and they they just pop in and they encourage us and the most humbling thing is when the children themselves the recipients come and work on builds later on also something i wanted so to ask. humbling so humbling and they'll come and they'll work you know and they'll be like whoa did our house look like this and we're like yeah pretty much <laughs> but it'll be great in the end you do know? the families so, connect um, yeah, a lot of them do. A lot of them already know each other. You know, mm. that, that whole world, especially within the oncology, a pediatric oncology world is very close. But we don't just do cancer. We have a lot of different... Are there certain illnesses that you kind of deal with a lot? Is there something that keeps popping up? Leukemia. Leukemia is so prevalent in our children. It's unbelievable. So, so you work with a lot of kids that have leukemia simply because there's a lot of them or you got introduced to that community, let's say, it, somehow? It may have been a little bit of both. Um, it certainly seems that every time I turn around, there's another child with leukemia. Um, there's, there are ones that seem to pop up more, leukemia, DIPG, that, that, awful, brain, that awful brain cancer that just is, has 100% fatal. Um, that seemed to pop up quite a bit, and it may be the circles we're moving in. I just, mm. I just think that... We have to do so much more. I mean, that's a whole other conversation about what our children deserve in terms of research and funding and, you know, medicines and, and technology. Have you gotten involved with that as well? I haven't. Um, I mean, I, I support them and I support the campaigns and I go to the fundraisers and I push the, you know, the, the awareness. But, you know, I think it's about picking your little area of the, of, of the sector and just focusing on that. Um, you have a lot of free time, though. I mean, why not 
Do why I? Not, why not add that on there? Why Get not? involved with politics, I know, too. right? Yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> Erica Jones is the founder and CEO of Sunshine Spaces. Their website, sunshinespaces.org. Very casually, earlier in the interview, you said, we also help with hurricanes. Yes. Let not gloss over that. Real quick, are you guys still in that zone? Absolutely. We have a whole department that's disaster recovery. and, and What so, do you do for those families? So we just pack up and we take off with our trailers and we just go gut houses for as long as we can. And we, it, with Hurricane Harvey, we partnered with Global Shop Solutions. They're a big partner of ours down in, in Houston and pulled our kids out of school and stood in sludgy water. We were the, some of the first into some of those houses and just gut and gut and gut from sun up to sundown. And what is your background? Do you have a background in construction or no? No, I, I don't actually. Which is the where ironic is all this thing. coming from? Um, passion. I just just learn it and do it. You're just learning it. Yeah, I mean, my background is in hospitality um, and marketing, so it actually doesn't have anything to do with it. Marketing, at all. I can see. Yeah, you you mentioned certain things, and I'm like, all right, yeah, you, like, you you definitely know you pay attention no, to the right things. But as I can far swing a hammer. Concerned. Obviously, I can, I can swing a hammer. Not so good with power tools. <laughs> 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 no, but I mean, the thing is, like, we can if you can go, go right. So we have a we have a thing. We also have a village in Africa that we work with, and a, my another number, thing that I wanted to bring my number up. one philosophy is you are called to give or go. As people that function out in this world, I feel very passionately that we're not supposed to just live our mundane, self-serving lives. We are called to give or go. So, is that your philosophy? I guess it's just I, it's sort of how it's evolved over the time. It's like either donate the money or donate resources or do something, hold a fundraiser, do something. To or give or go. Give or go. And so that's what we do. Let's talk about Africa a Oh, bit. it's amazing. Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe? Yeah. Zimbabwe, yeah. I always say Zimbabwe. I know. That's you how also Americans say, say zebra, but it's a zebra. So but zebra. we'll let that go. <laughs> I've been watching, I wa- I'm watching a TV show, uh, Serengeti. It's really yes, good. It's zebra. <laughs> and they always say zebra. And I like saying it. It drives my wife insane yeah. because obviously I, I don't say zebra. I just say it's our animals, so we get to name it. So. I, th- I agree. I'm going to agree with that. How? When did you leave Zimbabwe? So I left Zimbabwe in 1999 and came to the States, married a Marine, and have stayed put. But... Um, Aberdeen Village is a village on a working farm. What um, kind of farm? It's a tobacco farm. Zimbabwe is one of the largest tobacco producers in the world, but they also produce um, a lot of filler, as- asparagus, uh, mm. you know, food. Zimbabwe is a big agricultural country before its decline about 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. Um, Were you there for the decline? No. Well, yes. So initially, it's it's collapsed several times. The initial collapse, I, I had left right after that, and then my family st- was, is still there. Um, and this village has 200 children on it. Um, it has about 100 and, I think 150 families that live on this farm, and they all work. So in order to live in this village, they have to work on the farm. But they earn about $80 a month is the equivalent. Uh, they live very, very basic lives. And schooling is not provided like it is here. You have to pay for schooling. So um, not only do you have to pay for schooling, these children walk seven miles a day each way to school from the age of five onwards and they counted an extraordinary blessing to do so because education is everything right so we came alongside Aberdeen Village created a sponsorship program on our working to get all 200 children sponsored are you from Aberdeen Village I'm from Zimbabwe no not from Aberdeen Village no I thought that I, I'm sorry I misunderstood then so I thought that Aberdeen Village was in Zimbabwe it is yeah yeah okay it is. but you're so where are you at Har- where are you from Harare the capital city okay yeah. were you born there is your family from yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm second generation. Second my mom generation. was born there as well. Where from? Where does the family come from? Before that, uh, from England. From England. Yeah, okay. originally from England. All right. So, how did you find the village that you're currently working with? How did you find those guys? So it's on a there's a family farm that we have, and it's one of the villages attached to the farm. So it is a family farm, and then yeah. you we don't own part... the farm anymore. The okay. farm was taken during the government acquisition of the farms. The government took all the farms There's away. There's so much stuff that goes on in that part of the world <laughs> that we, so I, we have no Literally idea Literally just gave us eviction notices and said, get off the farm. And, and it's you guys have been there and, for a couple generations? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, but the village remains there. And, and after going through that, you still wanted to go back and help the people that oh, were absolutely. a part of this. Yeah, absolutely. It's not their fault. The government is, is corrupt. And it's actually them that have hurt the most, you know, the, mm. the locals. I mean... The government, you know, is very corrupt, and it, it's 100% duty. Anything you take into the country, you pay 100% on to take it in, and, you know, any aid that's sent there hardly ever reaches where it's going to reach. So if people don't do something, then... How long have you been working with that village? We launched that in January. What is the name? of Is it the Love More campaign? It's Yeah, Love More incorporates everything. So Love More incorporates our disaster recovery, our Aberdeen village, everything other than rooms. We just like, well, we're just... We got more love to give, so that's where we're going to go. <laughs> and how often do you go to Zimbabwe? Oh, I keep wanting to say Zim- Zimbabwe. You can say it that way. It's fine. Uh, at least once a year. So my niece is actually, um, you know, boots on the boots on the ground over there now. She works with the village every day. She's over there. She lives over there working mm-hmm. with them? She lives over there working with them. Was she born in the States? No, she was born in Zimbabwe. Okay. So she lives over there, and she, she works with them and liaises. There's about seven schools that the various kids go to. And so she takes care of them and then, of course, lets us know when there's, you know, critical. A lot of a lot of AIDS orphans. We have a lot of orphans in the village that need extra support. I was going to ask, so what are you doing for the community? What what are the different tasks and, and services that you provide them? So when a child is sponsored, um, they get or their schooling gets paid for, uniforms, books, all the supplies. They get food allotment given to them on, on the village. I mean, on the farm, there's a, a store. So they get like a the ability to go and purchase food we don't give them money because of the corrupt nature of the village like we don't want the children targeted or the parents targeted Mm. Um, so we basically pay for everything for them and then once a month we throw some sort of big event for the kids we're introducing a sports program on the farm so that they'll be able to you know play soccer things like that Uh, we connect them to depending on what they want to do when they get into high school connect them with if they want to be a policewoman or policeman we connect them to you know the academy and try to get them through where they need to be uh, we're actually going to build a community center on um, in the village so that the little ones will not have to walk to school. Uh, there was a little five-year-old girl that was raped on the way to school, unfortunately. Um, it's a very tough situation over in Zimbabwe. And so we met with the, the elementary school and decided that it would be best for first and second graders to school on the farm versus these little ones walking you know, seven miles a day. I mean, they're they're five, six years old, walking 14 miles a day. Most of the times they haven't eaten. The school is, you know, we make sure that they have food at the school during lunchtime, and that's sometimes the only meal that they have before, you know, before we get there. So we just try to fill in all the gaps. It's a lot, but, you know. <laughs> You're making me dizzy thinking <laughs> about your schedule and all the stuff that you have going on. I, and this isn't a joke. Are you planning other things? Is there... Is there more that you want to do, projects or endeavors that you're not doing yet that you want to get involved with? 
Um, I think just as long as we can nail down what we have, we, we'll go wherever we needed. You know, um, there's been a couple of things in the community that I think the community turns to us when there's a crisis because they know that we are really good at seeing our way through crisis. Um, we had a suicide in our neighborhood of a, a high schooler and they turned to us to try to, you know, step in. So our one goal is to have a spiritual team that can respond to massive crisis like that. With what we have between Aberdeen Village, disaster recovery, and the home renovations, um, you know, we have our hands full. Uh, the only other project that I'm, um, I can't say I'm excited to to instill, but I'm, I'm very passionate about is we want to be able to go in and do memory rooms. So it, the unfortunate thing is when a child passes away, so often the family just, what do you do with their stuff, right? What do you do with this kid's room? It sort of becomes something that the door closes and they don't, it's a very painful place for them. And so there's a core group of us that feel very, um, very compassionate about being able to go in and create something beautiful out of that. Whatever that family wants that room to be, whether it's a meditation room or they want, you know, how do we preserve things for them, but still allow them to move through their what grief? What do you do in that situation? Of all the things that you talked about, that to me is is the hardest to maybe wrap your brain around because it's got to be a good idea. And yeah. I... For the life of me, I couldn't tell you what a good idea would be in that situation. How do you just listen to them? That? I think people, I think people just steer away from pain, right? So when a, when a family loses a child, I think what you see is everybody. There's this initial shock, and then but people leave them alone. They just, it's like they just abandon them, right? And it's not because they don't care; they just have no clue how to care, right? So our thing is just show up, you know, just show up with dinner one night, just show up with flowers, just show up with a bottle of wine, just say, hey, let's talk. And if you talk to them enough, um, they'll they'll tell you where their pain is, what their point of pain is. And a lot of times is they can't pack up the bed, they can't pack up the clothes. They just, so it ends up staying there and it's almost crippling to them, right? Because then they hate being in their home and, and it affects the other kids in the home. And it's certainly not for us to tell a family when it's time to move forward, but we can offer things to them. Like we can take the child's clothing and make it into a quilt, um, for each of the family members so they have that precious thing to hold on to or you know we can you know if the family doesn't want it to be a room that's sad a lot of times it's very difficult if the child shared a room with another child um, you know then we sort of have to just try to how how can we help them start moving through that because they're never going to get over it right yeah but we can certainly help bring it to some sort of a a piece for them why is it so important for you to be the one that takes other people's pain and does something constructive with it. It keeps coming up. I've never had an interview where people mention the word pain as much as you did, and yeah. you mention it in a positive way. Yeah. I think it's because it's my gift. I think it's what I've been given to do. So we all have gifts, right? And I think my ability to, to see someone's pain and to feel it, I'm very empathetic. I cry a tremendous amount with our families. And I, I can't say I know what they go through, but I feel people's pain. And so I think if you're like that, I think you 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 owe it to this, to this life that you have to do the best that you can do with what you're given, whatever that may be. You know, if you're a millionaire, that's great. Do something with what you've been given. If you, you know, make $20,000 a year, but guess what? You're great at social media. Serve a nonprofit somehow. You can... Everybody can do something with what they've been given, right? And so for me, I think that's just, you know, I, I can't say that I, I don't take away their pain, but I certainly try to walk alongside them with it um, because that's what I would need. I would need someone to come in and say, hey, we're here. Like, even if you just sit quietly with me. I mean, there's times I've sat in hospitals in 
hallways of hospitals with parents and I don't have anything to say to them. I, I don't know what to say when they've been given end of life instructions for their child. I don't know what to say, but I'm going to show up and I'm going to be there so they're a little less alone. And I think that even now in the society, even more because everything is so social media driven and everything is so superficial, the need for real human interaction is more prevalent than ever. Just show up. How have all of these experiences impacted you and your relationship with your kids? Mm-hmm. You lived and grew up in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. They're Americans. Mm-hmm. You deal with kids and families in horrendous circumstances, as far as I know, all five of your kids, happy yeah. and healthy. Yes. You've got a lot going on. How has this affected your experience with your kids? I think I'm... I'm... I think regardless of Sunshine Spaces, I think just growing up in another country, I'm very hard on them. Like the things that they, like the things that kids complain about, perspective is That's so really different. kind of where I'm pushing that. Right. The perspective, it could, it would be just enough, your experiences with Sunshine Spaces. And then you add all the stuff that you just talked about very quickly. Yeah. Uh, your experiences in Africa growing up and currently. Right. I think as an immigrant, I'm so extraordinarily grateful for the opportunity to live in this country, right? So it's personal to me. Like, to be able to to live here in America, regardless of what's going on in our, our climate at this point, is still the most extraordinary gift, right? And so my children have been raised with that understanding that just because they were born here doesn't change the fact that they are half Zimbabwean. And their life, the only difference between my life and their life and that child that had to walk to school seven miles a day is just luck of the draw, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Running, running that. I only know how to parent by who I am, right? They don't, they don't get a second thing. But there's not a lot of room for self pity um, in our home. But on the flip side, I also have to understand that this takes a tremendous amount from them. Um, we're a blended family. My husband's ex-wife was killed in a car accident five years ago, and his two children came to stay with us, came to live with us, and she was my visionary officer. Um, I had, what does that mean? So she had come alongside me when I was creating the, the company. Um, it was a way to sort of blend the two families and give her a place because I knew this was going to be a family organization that I wanted their children to be part of. So by bringing her into it when there was sort of, you know, weird relationship there um, was really huge right in the very beginning. Um, but I wanted her to be part of it. And so when she passed away after our second makeover, it was absolutely devastating. And we sat all the kids down and said, look, we, we know that this takes from our family in terms of time and resources and heart, right? It's hard to serve when you're grieving. Mm. Um, but, you know, do we end it? Do we carry it on? And the kids are like, no, we carry it on. So I'm sure they've had their moments where it's just I'm gone. Like when it's a makeover and when, it, you know, I'm, I'll take off. When a kid goes to hospital, I'm gone. You know, it's always dropping things. Mom's gone all the time. Um, but I hope at the end of the day they realize I wasn't, you know, I wasn't gone for no good reason. I was gone because I was serving. And and my my honest heart is I hope that they take the I hope that they they see the sacrifice that our family makes and it's something that they take into their life and they're not afraid to sacrifice right that they can go out and and do this and live a fulfilled life and they're all very active in it our kids work very hard on our job sites we love children on our job sites obviously not when construction's going on but there's times and places for kids and People ask us what ages, and I'm like, well, we'll find a place for them. Have they taken to it? Have you oh, found yeah. that there's an interest in either service or even the constru- construction design field? All of it. All of it. Really? I mean, our little— How even, old are they? So I, they range from 8 to 20. 
Okay. So the, even the eight-year-old, I mean, since he was four or five years old, he's been grabbing a mic and running, you know, fundraising events like, hey, this is, you know. Uh, they, they all have ownership in it. It's really cute. Um, and the girls, as they're getting older now, you know, they're very big and they come shopping with me and they're up at three o'clock in the morning trying to find things on Amazon. And, you know, it's it's personal. And I think as they are going through the teenage years with this stock comparison to what the rest of the world is doing, um, I think it's been a good perspective for them. The, me losing my fingers was very hard on them. It was very that was a tough blow for them. That was, was it scary for them? Um, so it may sound strange, but um, I elected to have my fingers amputated in the ER and not go into surgery because it was going to take four hours, and I just wanted to go home and. And I knew that they were at home and they were beside themselves. You know, you, you think what a child imagines. You when wanted you to say, go home because you wanted to be with them. I just wanted to go home. Saying. It was it was enough. I hate hospitals. I was in, I just wanted to be done. Right. I didn't want to go under anesthesia. I didn't want to wait four hours. I just wanted to be finished. And so they amputated there in the ER. And, um, you know, they, they numbed me up. And I FaceTimed my kids while it was going on. I was talking to them. You know, well, obviously they didn't look at what was going on. But I, it was important for me that they knew that I was okay. And we laughed and joked and they cried. And. But I think just them seeing me in pain and then them seeing me struggle the month afterwards was really hard for them. They wrestle with, well, why did this happen if you do so much good in the world? Like, you know, it's a tough question to have to answer, you know. Um, but the the flip thing is, well, why does why does any of it happen to these children? You know, why does a four year old get, you know, a brain tumor? Why does it? It seems like and being around, but being around all of this all the time, they're able to see that. I think it would Absolutely. be hard for a lot of kids. Yeah. If you were just, you know, working on a project at home and, and cut two of your fingers off, I, right. I could see that being a really hard thing to explain to them. But because they're surrounded by this kind of stuff in a certain way. It has given them a different perspective, right? right? Oh, absolutely. They were able to rally back from that real quick. You know, and the one question was, you know, why would God do this to you? And I was like, well, God didn't do it. Table saw did it. <laughs> it wasn't God. But there's a platform for it, you know. And so they've seen, you know, time and time we, we've been in public and people have stopped me and said, oh, my gosh, your story has just inspired me and helped me so much. And, you know, you've encouraged me. And, you know, I get to go talk at women's conferences and I get to go share my story. And, and so they see that. Um, but I think we set the tone for our children, right? Like if we're okay, they're okay. So how we how we handle life really gives kids permission to use it as a as an excuse or not. And so it was never in fact I remember specifically saying, you know, this is not an excuse. You cannot use this as an excuse to be angry in life. Like this happened, we're moving on. I'm gonna get some cool bionic fingers and you know, on we go. So they just yeah, there's not a lot of not a lot of feeling sorry for ourselves. What does Sunshine Spaces need? As you mentioned, this is an all volunteer force. We have talked a little bit about fundraising. Do you like fundraising? Are you good at that? Um, no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, I'm really not. Um, I have a I have an amazing person that's come alongside us to help. Uh, we need we need companies that will come alongside us to help us fundraise. So, I think the simplest thing is the thing that's stopping us helping more families is just purely funding. Mm. You know, we've got everything else, in fact. But you know, the average bill costs us anywhere from ten to fifteen thousand dollars. Um, so it can get up there. And so we've got a hefty budget for next year. Um, our main, our number one thing is just needing that pipeline of funds coming in every month. And that can be as simple as a barbecue joint holding, you know, a an event for us on their own and then, you know, donating the money to it. Or Blue Jean Friday, if there's a company out there that decides that one, you know, charge everybody $5 to wear blue jeans and they donate the money. It's It's all the little bits of money that come in that can really keep us going. And that's what's kept us going. 
Um, we have people that come alongside us whenever we post a campaign that just say, hey, you know, you know, here's a check and what do you need? And and they're absolutely amazing. But in order to keep this going with the momentum that we need and to help the families that we need, we need a steady pipeline of income. You mentioned that anybody can be a part of this organization volunteer-wise. You don't have to have a special skill to be a part of Sunshine Spaces. Mm-hmm. Are you currently looking for volunteers? Always. Always. We're just looking for people that have a heart to do something. So if you have a specialty skill, like if you're good at like admin or social media or whatever, absolutely, you know, let us know what your special skill is. But if we're really passionate about parents bringing kids out of all ages because we tell these kids that they need to be kind and do things in the world, but then you can't take them to a whole bunch of places, right? Because there's all these rules and restrictions. And so we love families that come out with their children and we will find them something to do on our builds and find them something to, you know, to, to work with. And it's, it's a really good bonding time. Teenagers, we tend to separate teenagers and have them work with our actual leadership because they learn better that way if, if, unless they want to work with their parents, but normally they don't, um, you know, they want to, they want to just, and we love to teach them skills. I think teenagers learning skills nowadays is really important. Especially this kind of stuff. Absolutely. It's big. They need to learn how to put together furniture. They need to learn how to change out, you know, light fixtures. They need to learn how to do things like that. Not enough um, people doing that. Oh, no, not at all. You know, put together barn doors and build and if hang pe- shelves. If people want to be a part of the organization, what's the best way for them to do that? Go ahead and shoot us an email on our website, and then we'll put you in touch with our volunteer coordinator. They'll send you a skill assessment, and you'll be in our database. We also have a Facebook volunteer page, Sunshine Spaces Volunteer Group, that you can join. We pass a lot of information on that. Um, but you'll end up getting emails with a, you know, a month out with all the volunteer opportunities around the around the Metroplex. This is a TV show. I've had that said to me several times. You understand that, right? I know. There's a bajillion design shows on, and they're all the same. They are. Have you thought about anything like that? Yeah, I have. And we were approached once before, and the timing was right after um, my children's mom had passed away. And so we just couldn't bear to put grieving children in front of cameras. Um, But I believe that if the time is right and and that, that they will allow us to stay true to our story then we would love to chat with somebody. But we have to be able to stay true to the heart of who we are, and that's to serve these families. I don't think you're going to have a problem yeah. with that. Uh, a half hour turned into a quick hour. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this has been the greatest conversation. I, I cannot thank you enough for coming in today, sharing your story, doing what you do. The organization is Sunshine Spaces. You can find them online at sunshinespaces.org or give them a call at 817 946 Four six six five. Erica Jones is the founder and CEO of this organization. It was amazing speaking with you. Thank you so much for coming Thank in you, today. Nick. This is wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate everything you do. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.